the night. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big old list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how are you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing well. I got some big news. I am Clayface Six. Ah, I, I knew there was another one due. It's, it's been a while since we've had yet another Clayface. My lineage is proud and confusing as fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get oh. to the Clayfaces. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. This week, we've got something a little different because this is the first episode that Will sketched out. Uh, <laughs> tell the folks at home what we're, what we're doing this week, Will. Tonight, we are looking at three stories that I thought, I thought in air quotes over this podcast, three stories that I thought were going to have good art. And I only uh, picked one of them having read it ahead of time. Uh, And it really does have good art. The other two, eh, eh, eh. but hey, it's all right. In all fairness, one of them is an anthology and we will get to that. And so there is some absolutely gorgeous art in that anthology. Absolutely. There's also some art that is not as gorgeous. Less but, so. Less so. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to start off with the one that Will had already read, and that does indeed have some gorgeous art. This story is Six Fingers. This is from Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 85 to 88, digitally, and in print, the Legends of the Dark Knight 100-page spectacular number five. Written, drawn, inked, and colored by Dan Barretton, lettered by Saida Timofante, and edited by Jessica Chen and Christy Quinn. The digital cover date is December 2015. The physical cover date was weird, and I'm still going to have to look into that. But the important thing is it was digital first and came out December 2015. This is a story set early in Batman's career where he winds up looking for the kidnapped daughter of one of the Falcone crime family and winds up in the middle of a thing involving a witch cult and a woods creature and was one of Batman's, from what we can get from the timeline, probably early exposures to the supernatural. This is not the first work by Barretton on Batman. He doesn't have a ton of bat work, but the stuff that he does is all pretty memorable. And hard as hell to find in print. Yeah, this was only put in print in the back of these 100-page spectaculars that they used to burn off the digital first second volume of Legends of the Dark Knight, which is technically Legends of the Dark Knight Volume 1, as Volume 1 is Batman, colon, Legends of the Dark Knight. This was just Legends of the Dark Knight. But the vagaries of comic numbering and volumes neither here nor there that is Uh, some esoteric shit right there yeah and i am impressed but i want to just jump in here and just kind of mourn legends of the dark knight you you talked about anthology series we'll get to that later i came in when legends of the dark knight volume two how i think most people would consider it was i don't know if it was thriving but they were they were doing these digital chapters and just 
nice bite-sized little stories that would drop on a we'll say it was a Tuesday back when nothing else came out on Tuesday and they were just such fun little reads and it was so sad to see DC forget it I suppose the second time around and they're in the midst of forgetting it a third time around with this third volume petering out and they collected this second volume in a series of trades and unfortunately one of the best stories in the second volume, Six Fingers, did not make the cut. And, and as you said, it's just in one of these weird little 100-page specials. It's a it's real goddamn shame. Yeah, it is so obscure that I, until I got deeper into reading it, I was like, have I read this before? Just looking at the descriptions and such, it was like, I could have sworn I have, but I guess they didn't print. So maybe I didn't. And then I started reading. It's like, oh, yeah, I do remember this. And I did some digging. And it was like, oh, right. The last third to half of that series, they only released in these 100-page spectaculars, which for everything but Legends of the Dark Knight were collections of weird miniseries that had never been traded or arcs from series that didn't quite fit for a full trade or just other obscure stuff for some reason legend of the dark knight was like okay we've already made the digital money on these and i guess the floppies weren't selling too great so let's just put them out like this it was a very odd choice and then the series ends i think right with this yep this is the final issues of that volume sad 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 and, and, and like I said, we're just we're watching the same process play out again with their revival, which, as far as I know, as far as I have seen in the, the solicitations, is dead once more. Yeah, I think there is, issue six came out the day that we are recording or the day after we're recording this episode. I believe there is an issue seven, and I think that is the final issue. I'm not sure how DC could handle this better at this point, other than show more faith in the product and try to get a few more marquee creators. It's great that you're giving newer creators a chance to write a Batman story, but every third arc should be a name. The original Legends of the Dark Knight, those had huge names. The first four arcs on that, the first arc was written by Denny O'Neill. The second arc was Grant Morrison and Klaus Janssen. The arc after that was Doug Mensch and Paul Glacey. And the arc after that was O'Neill back with Chervon Eden and Russ Braun. Some of those artists aren't as known now, but the writers there, O'Neill... Morrison and Mensch are all big names in the bat world. Yeah, that was that was your A lineup. And uh, like I said, it's just it's so sad to see what it is now. And and I'll say this, you know, you look back over the second volume and you see some names. Like they ran out some names in, in many ways for sort of a trial. Like show us what you got. Now DC tends to do this with the the secret files, the urban legends, the whatnot. And I've already said this in, in the print bat chat, and I'll say it again. All of the urban legends, the secret files, all of that shit could be Legends of the Dark Knight. We could have one central anthology series 
that could tell a bunch of these different stories. It could tie in with the other titles. But what the fuck do I know? But we're, we're, we're talking about big picture stuff here, and we're not talking about the actual story that we're here to talk about. It's, it's our podcast. We'll talk about what we want to. Very fair. Very fair. But we do want people to read this story. Yes. It's cool. Wherever they can find it. Yeah. It's on DC Universe Infinite. If you have Infinite, you can find it in the original format of the, the half pages. As I've you know, read these in print, I never read them in that original format. It's like, oh, this is pretty neat. I almost wish they had released it landscape instead of portrait in a book with those half pages on each side that you'd flip, like what J.H. Uh, Williams and Hayden Blackman are doing in Echo Lands now. It would, it would have been an interesting experiment to see how that looked. Or Batman and Nine Lives. Yes. Oh, there's a book we'll get to at some point. That's a good book. I that enjoy that one. Very good book. And you cannot get that digitally. No. Because of that weird, funky size, Mm -hmm. I guess. So this is a cool, creepy, supernatural story, which is one of Barretton's things. He does supernatural stories. Uh, His main claim to fame is a series called The Nocturnals that is a horror-y, superhero-y kind of mix and match. Something I really should... I've always said I'm going to get around to reading it and, well, as I look over at the two gigantic stacks of unread graphic (laughs) novels across the room, there's a lot of things I say I'm going to get to, and someday I will. Someday I will. So I I do have a personal... Well, not a real personal connection. I have a connection to the story because I I interviewed Retton about this book, and his conversation has really stayed with me. You know, I must have interviewed him, uh, I don't know, five years ago now. But what we talked about, again, has just really just stuck in my head as having that opportunity to talk to a guy who really thought about how he approached making comics. And he is probably the most thoughtful artist slash writer I have ever talked to. And and I haven't talked to like a whole lot of them, but his approach is clearly different, clearly different than say your Sean Gordon Murphy's of the world. And we'll, we'll get to his air quote work eventually, mm. but he, and, and, and look, I'm, I'm not an artist. I don't profess to be one. I got no artistic talent there. I'm a words guy, but if I was an artist and I was making a comic book and, you know, I was playing with some words, I would want the art to shine. I would want my work, my artistic talent to be the centerpiece. And for so many artists who try to tackle the subject of of writing their own comic book, because they're not good writers, they don't have an economy with words. And you see their art just buried under piles upon piles upon piles of words, like the Sean Gordon Murphy shit. But Breton here just does just gorgeous gorgeous work and and if you're not familiar with it and and one reason why i love it so much i love anthologies and i love painted comics and so this right here is my jam oh the painting on this those painted colors are mesmerizing you just you get lost in how lush these comics look it's like a, a tapestry you could take off the the word balloons and you could hang these this is so so good to look at and it's so different and normally i don't like a supernatural batman i don't like a science fiction batman but 
you know, I, I read this story years ago. And again, like I said, I talked to Dan about it and this thing had just stayed with me as just something that was a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but a thing that truly is beautiful. And I think represents, represents what I want out of a comic book, something great to look at. But again, is not paragraphs upon paragraphs of text that lets the visuals do so much work. It does. And this is a story that works with Barrett and style because the characters are they're human they don't look they're not as distorted as say a kelly jones but his batman is massive his batman is a big muscular batman and there's a scene where he's fighting this servant of the witch cults who's also this massive guy but he also hits the forest the way he draws the forest where batman is is looking for this kidnapped falcone daughter the forest feels creepy he hits that just right when the witch cult leader six her pack of hounds on batman those dogs are scary I'll also say I got a kick out of the fact that he does something that very few writers who aren't bigger name Batman writers do. He expands on the Falcone crime family because the guy here is not Carmine, the Roman Falcone. This is a different Falcone, Armand, who, as you're reading this, like, this dude's Fredo. This is the Fredo of the Falcone (laughs) family. I can get with that. I was originally like, Oh, I don't, he doesn't look like the Roman. Like, oh, wait, no, it's not the Roman. It's just some other random ass Falcone who is not as good at what he does as the Roman is. It's a decent mystery. There is a mystery to this. Even if it winds up being a supernatural story in the end, there is Batman trying to track this girl through the underworld. Yeah, it's like 75% creepy woodsy stuff, 25% mob stuff. And I just, I noticed a great detail as I'm flipping through the first chapter now. Uh, Batman goes to visit Armand in this first chapter. And Armand has, one of his goons has a number one dad mug, which which is great after, and again, this spoiler, uh, we learn that Armand has sold his daughter out to these to these witches to pay off this debt. And it's like, that that is a really good little nugget there. When you get to the cult, there is a very Wicker Man sort of vibe to this whole thing. Beep! Uh, yeah. In all fairness, my touch point for Wicker Man is the original, the Christopher Lee one, which is <laughs> a thousand times better than the bees. Oh, the bees. Of course. It is in that way, actually, as it is a mostly matriarchal cult is more in line with the the second wicker man but there's also a whole thing there where they're involving gotham's wealthy and the mob and they all meet a fairly horrible end as is often the case in a good horror story like this i will also say that i i okay i admit freely despite having just turned 41 as i think with all of us men underneath all of that maturity there is a 12 year old who still titters at the name Annis because my wife loves black licorice and so she gets these little black licorice bears that are called Annis bears but every time she she buys them and leaves the little container I'm like so honey buy more anus bears it's like yeah yeah, I'm I'm 12 I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely that bad but still 
Which, and by the way, the Annis thing, there is an English folk legend of a witch called Black Annis, which I think is probably something that Breton might have been playing with there. The keeper, the monster that they seem to be worshipping, has a swamp thingy sort of vibe to it and looks, again, really cool under what Breton is doing with it. The ending of this story is the very end. I won't say jumbled. I mean, it makes sense, but there's still a kind of like, huh. So they're all de-aging at the end. So they sold their youth and now the thing's dead. They get their youth back and still die. It's not what I would have expected from that that sort of packed with some sort of elder god nature spirit thing and so it took me a minute to kind of wrap my head around it not not a necessarily a bad thing but kind of like a huh yeah it, it is kind of hard to wrap all of that up and you, you can't really think about it too far or you're going to get into like midichlorians territory <laughs> but one thing i did want to mention that is so easy to forget the joker almost steals this book with one scene yeah, there's a great Joker and a Harleen, a Dr. Harleen Quinzel cameo, too. At the beginning, I was like, okay, the Falcons are still in power, so this has got to be pretty early. And then you go to Arkham and it's Dr. Harley. It's like, oh, yep, it's very early. But Batman and Joker have a conversation and Joker's like, I'm here for my electroshock therapy. It's so much fun. I love it. Oh, the food here is terrible, but I stay for the entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it, it doesn't stretch on for long. It doesn't contribute a whole lot to the overall story, but it is just, it's delightful. It is a nice little scene. Again, it, it's Joker when he was still sort of wacky. And I, I enjoy a somewhat wacky Joker. So unless you've got anything else, well, I think it's time to move on to the end of every story. Put it on the board! All right, so... Right now, where our big list currently stands, we are at 24 stories. Number one being Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers 404 to 407. Smack dab in the middle at number 12 is Super Heavy. Batman Volume Two, numbers 41 to 50, where Jim Gordon puts on a Bat Bunny suit. And at the very bottom, number 24, is Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves, where Batman and Superman fight vampires and werewolves, and it's not terribly good it's not good matt no it is it it, it is not and i still don't believe you that there's a sequel to it (laughs) we'll get there someday because that would mean there's no god (laughs) oh fear the keeper fear the keeper okay so where are we looking for this this is a fun story it's a good story it's not an essential batman tome I mean, I'm still thinking we're, we're in the upper half of the list, but looking at something from last week, despite it not being more of a Batman story than the Heikatia, I don't think it's better than the Heikatia. The Heikatia has some equally gorgeous art, and I love Greg Rucka, but you might be feeling differently. Good. I'm, I'm very bullish on this book, and, and I'll, I'll explain my thinking here. Beautiful People at number seven is up there because we both love J.H. Williams so much. And it is such a pretty book. I want to put this at, I want to bump Beautiful People down, slide it in right there at seven. Because it is the beautifulest book 
my ceiling would have been there because I can't put it above Joker's five-way revenge because that is an important Batman comic. Yeah, I, I think I can, I can say we can drop this in at number seven. This is a good, a, a really good Batman story. It has some great visuals. It's got a cool thing. So yeah, okay. So Six Fingers will go in at number seven. Before we move on, do, do you think this is the most obscure thing we've done? Yes, I think so. There are possibly comics on here that have been read less, but something like Batman number 300, which is a weird and obscure particular issue, is still from the core Batman title. The only one that might be more obscure is Brave and the Bold 20. That's I was a, just thinking that, yeah. Looking at those, like, that's a kid's comic and, and not the Batman the Animated Series one that won all the Eisners. It is a quote-unquote kid's comic. So that one might be more obscure, but those two are pretty neck and neck on that one. Final word on this before we move on. Folks, if you're listening to us either now or 50 years from now when this is just in some podcast hall of fame, do yourself a favor track this story down you will not regret it it is it is beautiful and it's one of my favorites words to live by so next up our story is chasing clay this is batman volume one number 550 the writer is doug mensch with pencils from kelly jones and jh williams the third inks from john Beatty and mick gray Colors from Gregory Wright and Android Images. Letters by Todd Klein. Edited by Denny O'Neill and Jordan B. Gorfinkel. Uh, The cover date on this is January of 1998. In this story, Batman is on the hunt for a clay face type creature and is both aided and impeded in his search by Cameron Chase, an agent of the Department of Extranormal Operations, the DEO. This is smack dab in the middle of the Mensch Jones 90s Batman run and is very early work from J.H. Williams. He would go on from this into the Chase ongoing, which this book is a backdoor pilot for and is a vastly underrated series and a series that was way ahead of its time if chase had come out in 2003 or 4 instead of 98 it would have had a 50 issue run and not a 10 issue run but dems the breaks so i feel like i i owe everyone uh, an apology an explanation some some reason for, for why we're reading this and, and ultimately why it was kind of a bummer. So yeah, we're, we're talking about things to read, things to throw in with this episode. You know, our Will's favorite artist episode. And we're thinking, oh man, Will really got a boner for Kelly Jones uh, and, his, and his Batman. Oh, Will also really likes J.H. Williams. Hey, they were together on one issue. That has to be a good issue, right? That has to be good. Oh, jeez. Jeez Louise. Once again, and this is going to be one of these things that you're going to hear me say every episode. I read this when it first came out. I read this in 1998. So despite remembering the general broad strokes of the plot, 
remembering that it is the backdoor pilot to chasing things. I didn't have any specific recollections of this story. There are better Kelly Jones, Doug Mensch, Batman stories. But there many. have to be. Oh, there are. There's a two-parter with Killer Croc and Swamp Thing we're going to have to get to pretty soon. There's a three-parter with the Joker and the Demon Etrigan that we'll get to. There's a Dead Man story. There's some Black Mask stuff. There's a bunch. But this is not... It ain't their, good, boss. It's not their finest hour. It ain't good. In fact, I'd go, for, I'd go so far to say it's bad. It's an awkward, awkward story. The one thing... This is 1998, which means Mensch has been writing this run, his this run of Batman. Mensch had multiple runs on Batman over the years. He's been on this one for 75 issues at this point. Ooh. He came on back onto Batman somewhere around between 475 and 480. And now we're at 550. And at the same time, He'd been on it that long. Chuck Dixon had been on Detective for about the same amount of time. And Alan Grant had been on Shadow of the Bat for around the same amount of time. So they had built this very intimate Gotham where they had been the three creators writing this whole thing. So for people who've been reading that run for a while, yes, they give you some background on all the clay faces and such, but we'd been reading this. We saw a lot of what they're talking about here happen. It's weird. We go into all five clay faces at this point. Yeah, there is painful exposition explaining each one, and we've got a narrator who says, all right, well, here's here's the first one, and wait, hold on. i got to tell you about how he came around to be like the third one and and how, oh, wait, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go up to the second one and the third one. And the, the. It was a painful read. Painful. There, there's a law of diminishing returns on the clay faces. They get progressively less interesting as each one has been introduced. Basil Carlo, the first clay face, remains the best clay face. Evil actor who kills the cast of the remake of his classic film and then eventually steals the Clayface powers from other Clayfaces and in recent years has sought his redemption is it actually a really interesting character the other Clayfaces don't particularly work as well I mean Matt Hagen the second Clayface who for Batman the Animated Series, they took some of that Basil Carlo stuff and sort of mishmashed the two of them together. Fortune Hunter, who finds a magical grotto that turns him into a clay monster. There's a simplicity to that origin. But Clayface 3 and then Clayface 4, aka Lady Clay, their origins are real convoluted. And then you get into Clayface 5, their kid, who they named Cassius. Cassius Clay. Hey, 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 that... That was that was a famous guy. That, that was Muhammad Ali. You get it? You get Cassius Cassius Clay? That's that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. That's that, that's a, a thing. Ugh. Uh, ugh. Part of the problem here is that it's an extra large issue. Like I, you know, it's like thirty-eight tedious pages. And none of them, none of them look particularly good. There are a couple of panels of that classic creaturey Batman from Kelly Jones. But the rest of it is just replacement level, it feels like. The, and some of the layouts are bad. This gimmick where they do like clay throughout the gutters doesn't doesn't really add anything. 
And that's just this really, really disappointing. And it is a story that was playing to some of those Williams, not the Williams strengths, the Jones strengths. I mean, there's body horror in this thing. There's the clay thing melts stuff with its telekinetic abilities. There's people melting into things. This is the kind of stuff that is suited to Jones as an artist, but the issue feels rushed. The issue feels like Jones had to, to rush this story out. And I think, honestly, the fact that this is a backdoor pilot for a new ongoing might say something about just how sort of meh it is. That neither Mensch or Jones had their heart in it because they were said, hey, we're, we're launching this new Spies in the DC Universe book. We want to launch it in a big name title. So we want you to introduce Cameron Chase and the DEO, both of which have become pretty big parts of the DC Universe oeuvre since then. But this wasn't the best story to introduce them in. We will eventually get to, there was a two-part arc in the Chase ongoing where Chase is investigating Batman that we'll get to written by D. Curtis Johnson with art by Williams that I remember being considerably better. That's a story that actually sticks in my head. And it's, it is early Williams. I mean, there are still moments where it's like, oh yeah, that's a J.H. Williams panel, but it's not as much Williams as something like Beautiful People was. I will say that Chase is an interesting character as someone brought in from outside who doesn't feel any kind of particular allegiance or reverence for Batman. She is she is not here for his shit. They have a good sort of dialogue about, you know, Batman's role in Gotham and she's like, "Who the who the fuck died and made you like decider?" And that's a good conversation. Batman feels a little bit too morally superior, a little bit too like uh, dismissive of her points. But I think uh, that that dynamic would be fun to explore in in other books. Have you ever read anything with Chase before? Matt, what's the answer to that? (laughs) I figured, but you know, the one time I'm going to assume you haven't is the time you're like, I'm not an idiot. Of course I've read that. I, I've read uh, I've read Nine Lives. That's a book I mentioned earlier. Uh, I read that, and uh, yeah, that's it. Well, the thing is, Chase's whole issue with capes is because her father was a vigilante in that interim period in between the Justice Society in the '40s and when the Justice League came about in the nebulous sort of now. And he and all of his buddies got wiped out by a supervillain. And so she has a real mad on for capes because her father died and left her and her sister and her mother. And none of his friends were able to save him from getting killed by a guy named Dr. Trap. <laughs> it's right there in the name, Matt. It's right oh, there yeah. in the name. That was his thing. I, I want to make sure I'm getting it might have been an equally bad name, but I'm pretty sure it was Dr. Trap. Yeah. Yep. You know, he had. Trap jaw jaws and was was a, a, a scary looking dude. Chase went on to uh, have her own ten issue series and then became a supporting character in the Martian Manhunter ongoing and then just the Manhunter ongoing after that. She's a great character. I mean, she's this grizzled federal agent who takes no shit from capes. 
And I mean, it's still early Williams, but you can even watch over the course of the issues of Chase. He draws most of those 10 issues. I don't think he draws all 10. You, you'll, you'll see his art evolving even over that before it becomes the sort of notable Williams, the Prometheus stuff, the Sandman Overture stuff. There is some weird stuff. I agree that the stuff about the, the ethics of superheroing is probably the best dialogue in this book. And I will say the one bit of Williams art that really for me was, especially after Kelly Jones, who drew Harvey Bullock for a long time, and his draws is kind of bulky, Bullock, stubbly. Williams's Bullock looks sickly, especially after how big he looked a page before. Now he just looks kind of scraggly, and his clothes look too big on him. What pages are we looking at? So Batman, and also the other thing, by the way, Batman doesn't show up until page 18 of this book. It's shortly after that, because Bullock shows up right around then. And Williams's Bullock is a couple pages after that when he's meeting Chase at the GCPD. You might not even recognize him because he doesn't necessarily look that much like Harvey Bullock. Yeah, I there is not a lot of visual consistency in this book unfortunately. And that's not even to say that it's not sort of steady between Williams and Jones. Some of even Jones's work does not look consistent from page to page. Like say, for example, his Batman on 23, the top panel is eh, your more consistent normal panel. And then the bottom is his usual, like the Jones hunchy creaturey Batman special. The first time I looked at this, I thought that was Williams. And even these these colors look off. So uh, just like I said, a lot of visual inconsistency throughout this whole book. I will say the Williams of that Batman run isn't as detailed as the Williams you'll get from stuff like Red Rain, because Williams is at this point you know, trying to get out a monthly book. But this particular issue, looking back on it, was probably one of the weaker books in this run which is a shame because it is a big anniversary issue. It's a multiple of 25, but it's pretty meh. It's not the most meh thing we've read, but it's, I'm going to say high up there, but I guess low down there is <laughs> probably the, what we're going to, we're going to say. My final thought, most of the clay monsters in this book really remind me of Brundlefly uh, from Ooh, yeah. The Fly. There is some definite Brundlefly going on. But not enough. Yeah. So let's go to it. It's time to put it on the board. I mean, we're down in the bottom. Yes. It's not the worst. It is by no means as bad as Batman and Superman versus vampires and werewolves. But yeah, we're going to have to really troll the depths of of the Batman universe to find something that's going to displace that. But I hated Gotham by Gaslight. I stand by that that idea. But I the, don't think this goes higher than that. No, the art is still more consistent and better in Gotham by Gaslight. And this has such a terrible ending, too. That's oh, one thing we haven't talked about. Yeah, I mean, it just sort of ends. And part of that is, again, to set up a mystery for the Chase series because it establishes even that Chase doesn't realize that she's a metahuman but she is that's uh, a mystery for another book that never gets touched on in the batman series stuff again yeah this feels like oh shit we had 38 pages and uh yeah we're done we're out 
clay thing melted for some reason. I guess we'll figure it out eventually. All right. So it's not above. It's below Gotham by Gaslight. Is it above or below Case of the Chemical Syndicate, the first Batman story? Mm, that's historical. Exactly. Um, I think it drops below that. I, I think we could put it above the last Batman story from Batman 300. Another aniv- lackluster anniversary issue. But you know what? That story that was, was kind crazy of fun. fun. Yeah. That gets some points for being crazy. And frankly, wound up this long mostly because it doesn't pay off that title. <laughs> it's If it was, you know, Batman of the future, it would be fine. It really would be fine. But as we said 35 episodes ago, it's no last Batman story. Sorry, you can't you can't bring that up in the last page and then expect that to work. Yeah, I think this is now number 25, right above Batman and Superman versus vampires and werewolves. Long may it rain. Mostly because I don't want to read anything that's worse than that. No, I, I don't. And again, I'm just, man, what a bummer this was. We will get to some of the better Williams Mensch stuff. I mean, worst comes worst. We still have Bloodstorm and Crimson Mist. Ah, oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. Let's never speak of this again. <laughs> okay. But now let's move on to the anthology that we have talked about a couple of times before. This is Batman Black and White Volume 1. This is a four-issue miniseries from all manner of writers and artists. I'm not going to list them now because we'd be here until doomsday. It was all edited by Denny O'Neill, Mark Chiarello, and Scott Peterson. And the cover dates were June to September of 1996. Anthologies are a tricky thing. And we're obviously having to talk about this as a whole because... If we broke up each story and put each one on the list individually, that would be insane. And that would take us forever. So we're not doing that. This is four oversized issues with five stories each. The creators are, it's a murderer's row. There are huge names in American comics. There are huge names in European comics, huge names in manga appearing in here. This is the first of these sort of prestige anthologies that DC would continue to do with multiple volumes of black and white over the years. With anthologies, though, everyone is going to find stories that they love and stories that they hate. That's just the way of the anthology. And not everyone's going to love the same stories, but with an anthology, you just got to kind of hope that the good outweighs the bad. And I think in this one, it does. I think there are more good stories than bad. in here. Oh, absolutely. And we talk about how DC is just, like I said, given up on Legends of the Dark Knight. This is an amazing contrast to the most recent Batman black and white run where I can't immediately think of some, some of the names who, who worked on that, but it is not, as you say, the murderer's row of comics creators. Like there was some serious thought and maybe cajoling of people to get into this book. If, if I was sitting down in 96 to, to, to plot this out, these are the names that I would get. If, you know, if, if I had a wish list of everybody I could get 
and everybody I could hope for, this is it. Like this is, this is a real all-star book. Now, as you said, not all of these stories work out. And there are some that I quite frankly, just abhor, but there are some that are truly beautiful and it's a, it's a big mix and a lot of them are good to great. Okay. So I'm curious to see, is there one, did you have a favorite? Do you have one that was absolutely your, your pick of the litter amongst these? Well, heroes won all of the awards and it was stellar as a, as a period Batman piece, which yes. was great. I also loved the Bruce Tim story, which Bru- I thought was, was a great take on the animated series universe because it was an adult story set in that, in that world. And I don't think we really get that ever. That's my, my pick. That w- was my favorite. That is the story that stuck in my head. Two of a kind, which is, it's a two-faced story. It is a pitch perfect noir it's got a femme fatale it's got a haunted lead it's narrated by two-face there is a panel at the bottom of page three with this look on harvey dent's face after he finds out that the doctor who fixed his two-faceness and who he's fallen in love with and has fallen in love with him has an honest-to-God evil twin sister. This haunted look he has in that panel sticks with you. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, shit, this isn't going to work out, is it? Nope, this is going to end very poorly for everyone involved. And yes, the Archie Goodwin, Gary Gianni heroes is another... Gary Gianni, Archie Goodwin. It's important to note that with all of these, they credit the artist first, which is, as we know, if you've at all ever looked at comics, a very rare thing. It's almost always the writer who gets credit first. But this, they always credit artist before writer. And so in this case, the Gary Gianni, Archie Goodwin piece set in 1939 with Batman punching Nazis. I'm, I'm always there for Batman punching Nazis. Punch more Nazis. If, if I had to go with another one that I thought was great, I'd probably pick out a slaying song. Uh, slaying song tonight yep. uh, by Denny O'Neill. Yep. Denny O'Neill and Teddy Christiansen on art. One thing I will say, a Batman black and white story has to do one of two things to feel worthy of, of being a Batman black and white story. It either has to be a quirky and novel take on Batman and his world that has to do something different in the story, or it has to use the black and white color palette for something. Slaying Song Tonight is a pretty standard Batman story, but the fact that it's set at Christmas in the snow uses the white. It, it still works as a black and white because of that. But if you're just telling an eight-page Batman story in black and white, it's like, yeah, technically it's a black and white, but you want to use this format for something that means something. Yeah, and the, uh, the gimmick has been overdone at this point, you know, because now we got the Batman book, we got the, we got the Superman book, we got the Deadpool book, 
we got the Wolverine book, we got the Harley Quinn book, like it's, it's been done. And of course, all of those other books add the spot color for fun, whatever. But it's the same general idea. Like we're going to tell this anthology, we're going to do different stuff with the art and it's all going to be, you know, thematic. And it, it has been, I think, to diminishing returns. You know, we, we read most, if not all of the, the recent black and white run and basically all of those stories have washed out of my brain. Like none of those stuck with me. The one that stuck with me is the Kieran Gillen, Jamie McElvey, choose your own adventure one. Oh yeah. That was pretty neat. I admit Th- that. And that might be also because I read that again when Dan and I were interviewing Dan Grote, previous guest, we're interviewing Gillen. Uh, for WMQ not too long ago. So I went back and read that again. It's like, yeah, this is really neat. There was some gimmick with that too. Like you, that you, you couldn't win or you couldn't lose. You could only win by cheating because Batman always wins. A- admittedly, that was pretty neat. All right. So I'll tell you the story that I just, I hated. That okay. I loathed. That was cringy AF. And that is, I've already forgotten it. It was so it was so bad. I I, I hated it uh, that much. Um, uh, there's a couple possibilities. So I'm, I'm there's there's three that I could think of that are possible for the one that would be cringy. One of which is is sort of cringy and has a really cringy creator. One that is might have flown back in '96, but sure as fuck would not fly today. Ah, there it is, Monster Maker. Oh yeah, okay. That wasn't even the one I was thinking of, but yeah, that is not a. Ooh, that's not that's not a good one. No, black kids uh, yeah. killing each other. Uh, yeah, that, and... uh, that one. My brain even skipped over that one. I was thinking about that's yeah one of the four that. Yeah. I mean, and that and it's Richard Corbin who art on art, who has a very distinct style, and if you're up for that. Okay, he drew <laughs> he drew a Luke Cage miniseries that again probably wouldn't fly in 2021 and probably shouldn't have flown back in the early late 2000s early 2010s when it came out. Did I actually even include the word cringy when I was making my notes on that one? I might have. Um, well, so so I made the mistake in just yeah. As you as you pointed out, the the artist is pointed out or is uh, is listed first. So I just I yeah, I looked up Corbin and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't look up Jan Stranod, Jan Stranod. I'm not sure. I've never been sure how to pronounce that name. Let me look up this guy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he's white as fuck too. So uh, yeah, this is bad. This is just real bad. I do not want two white guys doing a story about black street gangs oh and um like it just it's it's so bad Uh, batman batman says i know this one 11 years old 20 felony counts on his record sought by a police for a drive-by three days ago guess his homies figured he was a bad risk what the fuck what the fuck oh yeah that's 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 not good and yes by the way my notes did expressly say cringy gang stuff i i figured that would be a word that would come up with that story and that's a white guy from kansas writing that by the way no bad bad that one does not work the first story in issue four an innocent guy 
written and drawn by Brian Boland. It's basically this creepy guy. He says he has a girlfriend, but he gives off some real serious incel vibes talking about how he's going to kill Batman because to, to to really make the moral decision to be good, you have to do something really bad and figure if doing something good or something bad feels morally better. And we, we live in a world of too much online radicalization for a story like that to fly in 2021. Yeah, if, if you had pitched this story to me and you had shown this to me and you were the, the artist or, or writer or writer slash artist, I'd be like, are, are you okay? Like, do you, do you need to see someone? Are you, you know, are you a psychopath? Another story that, again, I just, I thought did not work, Bent Twigs. Yep, that's Bill Sienkiewicz writing and drawing. And holy fuck, were these some crowded ass panels. And the, the, just the story here, like, yeah, the, the, it's very busy. The, The hand lettering does not work. But the idea is, so a single dad is having problems with his son. And to teach his son a lesson, he takes the son's cat and drops it from the roof and kills it. And there is a very touchingly sad description of the cat dying. And I'm just like, why? This is, this is too much. And then the dad goes on to like, try to explain himself like panel after panel after panel. And none of that reads logically. None of that is based in reality. Like if a dude is going to kill a cat, he's going to be nuts. And he's not going to like rationally defend himself to anyone. You know, he's not going to sit there with Batman and say, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just stressed out. His mom skipped town and I'm just doing the best I can, Batman, and you're not helping anything. Like, that's literally the fucking conversation the guy has after he has just murdered a cat. That doesn't then, make any sense. And then he goes on to talk about how you know, no woman wants to date a guy with a 10-year-old. You know, they go, I send them gifts, and I send them an astrological chart to show that we're compatible. Like, this guy is a psychopath. This guy is the worst kind of monster. And... Th- why do you spend, why do we want to spend eight pages listening to this guy? I want Batman to just punch him in the head. Repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now there, there is a good resolution to that. Like, you know, he's, it's like, Hey, I, I'll, I'll just treat you like you treated the cat. You know, you can feel that same kind of panic and fear and that breaths leaving your lips, but still we had to go through so much shit to get there. That should have been like a two pager tops. Yeah. And by the way, it, again, in a sign of its particular time, when Batman suggests they go to family counseling, he's like, oh, like I have that money. Who do you think I am? Donald Trump or Bruce Wayne? Like, <laughs> uh, that is a line that would not fly in 2021. Uh, but there are a couple of uh, Matt Wagner does a nice little crime story called Heist. I'm a big, Matt, yeah, I'm a big Matt Wagner fan. Uh, someday we will get to some of his, but he's done quite a bit of Batman. And I think there's some, some of it is very, very good. I have a soft spot for a black and white world. The Simon Bisley, Neil Gaiman. It's not great, but it's quirky and fun. Hey, we do not get nearly enough like Batman as meta stuff. I yes. enjoyed that. I, I really cl- did. Okay, I'm glad. I was a little worried on this one because it's like, 
I like this, but I am an unabashed Gaiman fan. And this is the first comic that I read where I was like, who wrote this? Because this is really cool. And, you know, I mean, I'd read one like Secret Origins story that Gaiman had written before that. But this is the first time I took note of him. And the minute I was a year later when I would have been old enough that my comic shop wasn't carding for vertigo i started reading sandman and that was that was it i mean it's it's very by it's bisley doing complete crazy bisley stuff he's he's a a complete friggin trip by the way he comes to the con here in jersey every year and me and dan and our buddy rob will invariably get online and Bosley's sitting there you know shotgunning a beer and getting drunker and sketching and being profane in a delightful way no tad the final story in the whole thing, The Third Mask from Katsuhiro Otomo, is an interesting story. It's not a version of Batman I particularly like, but it's one of those cases of the story is technically very interesting. I mean, this is the dude who created Akira. I mean, this guy is international superstar guy but i don't like the idea of batman as dissociative personalities i don't think there is a dissociative personality i don't think batman and bruce wayne are two different personalities in one head there's one guy and it's the much of the bruce wayne persona is an act he puts on but it's not a different person and that's part of what this story is positing Leave taking was another good one. Yes. Oh, Brian Stelfreeze, gorgeous, gorgeous Brian Stelfreeze art. That's a guy who black and white and the the shadows just play so well with his work. Whenever Batman gets the chance to be an unreliable narrator, big fan, big yeah. fan. I was a fan of the Devil's Trumpet from the end of issue one, the Jose Munoz and Archie Goodwin. It's this Robert Johnson type parable of a guy who got a trumpet, won a trumpet in a contest from the devil and people chasing the trumpet. And in the end, somebody kills for it. And Batman, Batman's barely in it. Batman's only in the one story, but it's got that vibe of some of those better episodes of Batman, the animated series or the old Will Eisner spirit stuff where that hero character is the story engine and it's about the people in the crime or in the the story and how that character just sort of comes in to provide a bit of story for it. Yeah, Devil's Trumpet was was a different sort of vibe, but it was it was a good one too. I another one of the the cringier problematic ones uh, was Petty Crimes, the right before that, from Howard Chaikin, who is not a good person. Uh, Chaikin is a noted uh, transphobe and misogynist. And this is one of these stories where, again, it's like, it's a guy who's killing people for bad manners. Yeah, and it's it's, uh, it, it's falling down, but with Batman. Yeah. And as much as this guy is the villain, the fact that A, he's drawn looking the way Chaikin draws his hero characters in general, and the fact that a lot of it is couched in, boy, 
you know, he's going about this the wrong way, but he's got some good ideas is a problem. Yeah. And Batman either textually or very strongly subtextually says basically that it's like, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you, but you just, you just can't kill people. That's you're, you're crossing my line, but yeah, uh, these guys are, are total assholes. I'm trying to remember like the little petty grievances that this guy had, what it was. One person didn't curb their dog. One person talked in the movies White guy grievances. Yeah. White guy grievances. Somebody cut him off in traffic. The bank guard locked the door on the bank two minutes early. This retired cop that Gordon knew, who was hard of hearing, who couldn't probably couldn't hear him, the killer, you know, telling him not to lock the door, and he stuffs the guy in the night return slot. That there, there could have easily been a scene of you know this guy showing up to McDonald's at eleven oh three and not being able to get his McMuffin or showing up at 1059 and not being able to get, you know, a cheeseburger or whatever. It's these kind of just petty white grievances. And it's exactly the sort of thing that Jacob would write. And exactly the sort of thing that I don't want to read. Right. It's 1996. If this had been a year or two later, he would have wanted, he would have shot somebody for speaking Spanish in public on an American street. Oh, oh, don't go back and put that that idea in his brain. Because um, it's a taken idea. Yeah. That is one thing that concerns me uh, about when we get to Thrill Killer. Uh, the, uh, the art's going to be beautiful, but uh, Chaikin uh, wrote the thing, and was, I don't know. Yeah. It might be a reason why it's hard to find. Mm. Couple, I mean, we, we've touched on most of the stories at this point, a couple of the other ones that just popped uh, in dreams from an artist named Liberatore and Andy Helfer. It's an okay story. I like the end that Batman remembers this girl who he saved all these years ago, who's now who suppressed the event and who he comes to her and gives her the doll she had as a child, which helps her sort of come to terms with what had happened. I like those stories where Batman has that human moment. The same as in actually the very first story, Perpetual Morning. He's in the morgue looking at the body of someone who'd been killed. And in the end, he goes, he figures out at least where they had been before the diner they'd been at. And he goes and he says, people think he's this night. He's, I'm only a vessel to hold the memories of those who've passed on. And we had commented, I believe, in one of the text bat chats about the detective, about how he remembers everyone he saved. And was like, but Will, you commented there about he also remembers the one he does, the ones he didn't. And this is this absolutely makes that textual that he does remember everyone he couldn't save too. Last thing that I've got to say about this, I picked up a uh, a hardcover edition at my local used bookstore. It comes with a copy of uh, Batman Gotham Knight. Huh. Yeah. I was like flipping through at the end. It's like, whoa, hey, there's a movie back here. That's pretty neat. Who knew? Well, maybe when we get around to doing some animation, we'll now have, we have one we can get right there. It's right here. It's right here. And then uh, I also got HBO Max, so oh, yes. got all of them on there, too. You got plenty of options there. Okay, so I think it's time. Are we be putting it on the bard.
So hard. Yeah. Hard. On the whole, it is better than it is not. Yes. Considerably. I can come up with of 20 stories, there are four to six that are bad, cringy, or uncomfortable. There are four to six that are great. And then the balance still fall closer to the good than they do to the bad. Absolutely. And I think this should be properly evaluated for its time in that the gimmick was new in 96. Like yes. this was a cool idea. And as you know, we said earlier, it's been done to death, but it was fresh 20 oh, years ago. Again, read it as it came out. This is a book that, okay, you're going to have to bear with me, everyone, because I'm going to explain something. And I'm going to explain something that is going to make me sound kind of off in the head. We're, we're doing a Batman podcast. Yeah. I mean, come on. We're, we're, we're off in the head. Let's just admit that right. up front. Oh, yeah. But what you all have to understand is I am clinical diagnosed obsessive compulsive. So there are some things that I do that I do in ritual because it's just how my brain works. Okay. When it comes to reading my comics, I get my stack of books and I have to organize it in a very specific way to read through that stack. And removing anything that I'm reading for review copies first, because that trumps anything in my head. I always read in reverse order of how excited I am for that book. So I'm building towards the comics that I'm most excited to read. Like that ain't weird, man. That ain't weird. I like that. Black and white was a, this volume of black and white, this was a bottom of the stack book every time it came out. This was the book those weeks that I was dying to get to, but took my time and built towards it. And going back to it, and I'd read it a couple of times over the course of the years, but it had been a while. And I was like, okay, please tell me this, that most of these are as good as I remember. And the stories that I remembered being good were still really good. And the stories that I didn't remember, I didn't remember for a reason. I, again, I think we're in the top, we're in the top half of the list here. Yep. Another book that is experimental is The Clown at Midnight. And I think this is still above The Clown at Midnight. There is so much interesting material here. Yep. I think it probably beats the two Snyder mega arcs, Zero Year and Super Heavy. Yep. I'm looking up. Okay. Right now at number 10 is that Batman Brave and the Bold issue, which is also anthology-esque in that it is two stories. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. We might have a discrepancy here. Okay. I've got Brave and the Bold at nine, Haikatia at 10. Oh, okay. I have Haikatia at nine and Brave and the Bold at 10. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to go check the tape. The listeners will have heard this by now, and they'll know. There's somebody out there screaming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be able to go over to ComicsXF where the list will be put up as I as we go, and they'll be able to see which one of us put him in the wrong spot. Probably me, because I'm a fuck-up. 
Um, but nonetheless, one way or the other. All right. Well, let's go up to let's go up and look at where we were earlier today. You I mean, Six Fingers is a a big time book for you. Yes. This, though, is a. a ma- this is a Batman thing. And some of these creators, this is the only time some of these amazing international creators worked on Batman. And the writers in here, I mean, you got Denny O'Neill, you got Archie Goodwin, you've got Matt Wagner, who's a writer artist, but still one of my one of my favorites. I mean, Joe Kubert, there's a legend of the Golden Age and Silver Age working. It, re- it really is an all-star roster. Yeah, I mean, it, we didn't like the story, but I mean, Sienkiewicz is a huge name. I mean, the, Gary- the only, uh, and sorry to interrupt, the, the no? only contribution that I would say is not in here that you would expect, but even he still did like a, like a pinup or some art, you'd think there'd be more Frank Miller in here. Yeah, Miller did the cover on issue two. And Jim Lee did a cover. Alex Toth, one of the great legends, did a cover. I'm not sure if this cracks the top five, but I think it, it for what it is, it beats Six Fingers. It might beat Five Way Revenge, too. As much as I love Five Way Revenge, you know, all know how much I love Five Way Revenge. This is so many amazing names on a Batman comic. I think this just falls right below the top five and becomes our new number six, bumping down Five Way Revenge and Six Fingers and the, well, obviously the rest of the list. But I think this is our new number six. In terms of historical import and again, the all star roster, I'm in favor. Okay, so our new number six is Batman Black and White Volume 1. So there we go, ladies and gents and folks of all genders, sexes, races, colors, creeds, you're all welcome under our tent of Batmanness. That is another episode wrapped up. Next week, it'll be Thanksgiving, but don't worry. We're here making that Batman content you so desperately desire to get you away from the dinner table and the talk of politics for an hour. Oh, making that sausage. Yep. We are going to be returning to all ages bat stories for, for this holiday with three stories that you could share around the Thanksgiving table to try to get, you know, that uncle who just won't stop telling you how Democrats are ruining the country to instead look at the joy of Batman. That. Uncle Butthole just needs to just cut it out sometimes. <laughs> yep. Checked off. <laughs> uh, so you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will, me, and plenty of other talented writers are writing. 
Thank you as ever, Will. Thank you, Brother Matt. It was a pleasure. I, I, I missed this last week. Even the, you know, the, the listeners didn't miss out, but you know, we took a, a week off for your birthday or some shit. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.